If you take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter number two, we're going to get there in just a few minutes. It's page 26 in my Bible, if that helps you at all. Genesis chapter two. Uh, we're speaking this weekend about marriage in the second weekend of this uh, series. And uh, we're kind of talking about a marriage made in heaven. And every, I, as a pastor, I think I'm doing six weddings this summer. And, uh, I, you know, that's part of, part of the joy and the privilege of being a, a pastor is that you get to, as a minister, get to marry people. And, and uh, you know, you, you get to do all of that. And, and every married couple that I have ever met, especially young, married, in love, uh, they're all wanting to live life happily ever after. And, uh, you know, and you just see it in their eyes and you just hear it in what they say and it really makes you sick because it's just not, you know, right? Because it's just like, well, you know, love will pay the bills and love will keep us together. That was a great Captain and Tennille song from the 1970s, but it's not reality. And uh, the, the deal is, is that you can't have a marriage that lasts a lifetime, but there's no such thing as a perfect marriage because there's no such thing as perfect people. And uh, I remember... You know, Tammy and I, when we were engaged to be married, uh, we, were, we got married right out of college in our early 20s. And uh, uh, when we were uh, uh, engaged, I remember having a conversation with her and I uh, saw her room and I just said, I have a question to ask. Don't get offended, which is probably not the greatest way to start off. Right. And my question was simply this. I'm a kind of a guy that everything has a place and every place has a thing. I love organization and where everything just works together. My wife likes stacks. I call it clutter. She calls it stacks. And so we're just totally, she, I said this last night. So some of you, some of you guys are going, dude, he is really going to get in trouble. I got approval before I use this. So anyhow, I'm smart. And so, um, so I just said, I have a question. Will our house look like this? And to which she replied, no, it will not. Our house won't look like this. And she's been right. Our house doesn't. If you go into my house, uh, yeah, everything is clean and neat. But, but what she didn't tell me is that there would be a room in every house we would live in that would look like that room. The first house that we had, the, it was so bad that you couldn't open the door. And the second house I wanted to talk about. And the third house I finally just gave up. And then the fourth house I kind of gave in because we moved a lot in different places. And, and it was just like, and you, even to the day, if you come, there is a room that we have in our house. That's, I call it clutter. She calls it stacks. I call it disorganization. She calls it her organizational system. And the reality is, is we just, I don't go there and she does. And so it's just compromises that you make. And we all start off wanting this marriage that's kind of made in heaven, this marriage that's happily ever after in this perfect marriage. And the reality is there's just, it just doesn't exist because we're imperfect people. But the Bible gives us an account of a marriage that was made in heaven, Adam and Eve. And what's great about it is Adam and Eve, their marriage, their union, the whole deal happened prior to sin entering, entering into the world. And there are some characteristics that we can see and some, some keys that we can see about what, how God does view marriage and what a marriage should have and what we should strive after to have the kind of marriage that uh, God would want us to have. And I'm going to say this. There's two groups of people in this room today. There are people that are married and there are people that are not married. And for those of you that aren't married, I would tell you, take notes on this. Um, not because this is my words. This is what God's word says. And this will help develop as, as you journey along through that. Um, and those of you that are married today, these are some things that probably you may be doing one or two of these really well, but there may be one of these that you really need to take some time and, and uh, carve out some time and really kind of work on this in your own life, in your own marriage, marriage in your relationship. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. Here's what it says. 
And the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Amen. And I'll make a suitable helper for him. And now the Lord God formed out of the ground of all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave the name to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs. He closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord had made woman from the rib he had taken out of man. But he brought her to man. Then man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason will a man leave his father and mother. And every parent said, amen, Lord, let it be so. Get out of the basement. And be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, there, on the back side of your bullets in the worship guide that you received when you came into service today, there are notes if you want to follow along. And, and, and there are three things you've got to know in order to have a marriage made in heaven according to what God says here in Genesis chapter 2. The first thing is you've got to know God. The first thing is you have to know God. The Bible says that in verse 18 that Adam had this relationship with God. And we read throughout Scripture the vital relationship that he had, this personal, vibrant relationship. Verse 21 through 22 says that God took time, unlike man. He took time and he formed woman. He, uh, he, he created her. He, he spent time. He, he purposed in her some things. Adam and Eve both had this personal relationship with God, that God was intimately involved in their life. And, and I'm just going to say, as married people, and people, if you want to have a, an effective, successful marriage in your life, according to Scripture, the first thing you have to have is not the right person, but it's the right relationship with God. And I know that sounds a little bit Pollyanna. Maybe it sounds a little bit like it's kind of a Bible school, vacation Bible school answer. But the reality is, is that in our life, we do things so backwards most of the time. We kind of say, well, you know, I'm 18, 19, 20. I'm just going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live life. And then when I get done of all my running around, I'm going to settle down with someone. And then when I settle down with them, then we'll decide to have kids. And when we have kids, then we'll think, well, you know, we want to raise our kids in church. And we don't want them doing some of the things that we did. And so let's just go back to church and then we'll find God. So then we find ourselves and then we find a relationship and then we find kids and then we find God. And God says, no, 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 no. The first thing you have to know is me. The first experience that you have to have is me. Before you can ever find that special someone in your life, the number one relationship is not the perfect mate. It's a relationship with God. It's having a personal experience with God. And I know that sounds like so trite, but that's what Scripture says. That before they knew each other, they knew God. Before they were connected to their purpose in life, they were connected to God. Before they came together in holy matrimony, God had a personal encounter with them. And I would tell you, if you're engaged in this room, or if you're single in this room, the greatest single thing you can do is not go look for the right person, not go looking for love in all the wrong places, but to simply slow your jets and cool it down and just pursue a relationship with God until you can say, I know God. I'm not talking about going to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. No more than going to Pizza Hut makes you a pizza or going to Roberts makes you custard. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Having a Bible with your name on it does not make you a Christian because you were christened or dedicated as a child doesn't make you a Christian. The Bible says Romans 10, 9, and 10 that, we, that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says that, that he is, then we, become, then we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then we become a Christ follower. 
And so the reality is, is do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I a disciple of Christ? Because before I can get any horizontal relationship right, I've got to have the vertical relationship right. I've got to have the relationship between myself and between God right. You have to have an experience with God. You got to know God. I know Elisha talked about that last weekend, but I just want to drill that in. Have a personal relationship with God. Can I tell you something? It is impossible for two Christ followers to have a vibrant personal relationship vertically with God to be in divorce. Let me say that again. It is impossible for two Christ followers who have a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ to know God, to go into divorce. Well, how are you so solid on that? Because when the, when the religious crowd in the New Testament came to Jesus and they said, listen, why is it, Rabbi, that Moses gave a right of divorcement? And Jesus made this statement, because of the hardening of man's hearts. Every time, every single time you watch a divorce relationship goes, go, go on, out, you find that someone's heart gets hardened. Sometimes one heart's hard and one heart's soft. And one's hard's hard, then, then they get soft. And it goes back and forth, or you have two hard hearts. But Jesus said it was because of the hardening of man's heart. And how you keep that callousness away, how you keep that, that your heart from becoming like stone is having a personal, vibrant relationship with Christ. And for every one of us, that's different. The litmus test for that's different. But you know, you know if you're far away from God, you know if you're close to God. You know if you have a vibrant relationship with him and you know if it's you're just a Sunday morning Christian. You know whether you're a crusty Christian or whether you are a Christ follower that's fully devoted to Jesus Christ. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that or to judge that in your life. But I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is have a vibrant relationship with him. The second thing he says we gotta know is we gotta know you. You gotta know ourselves. You have to know who you are. If you want a marriage made in heaven, he says in verse 19 and 20, he talks about Adam. He talks about his role. He talks about, he, he talks about who he is. Now, let's talk about that just for a second, to know you. And this isn't like an Oprah, Dr. Phil moment. This is, this is really where we drill down and where we began to find out how God's made us and, why, and how he's wired us. Some of you in this room, God has given you a gift to work with your hands. You can, you can create a masterpieces. You can build houses or you can do carpentry or you can do steel work or, or all types. Of, you have ability with your hands. I, I can't hang a picture, man. I'm telling you, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I, I, I do not have the ability to do what some of you have the ability to do. Some of you have minds that you just think, you just, it just pops, you just process. And it's just, I mean, it's just so many bits a second and you can just rail through things. Some of you have an entrepreneurial ability to be able to develop business and start business. Some of you, 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 you have an administrative gift or organizational gift. Some of you are, are you're, 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 great, you're great with your kids and some of you have great personal relationship ability and some of you have great compassion ability. Some of you are great leaders. I mean, we all are giving different different giftings. And we, as we read here, we find out that Adam, before sin entered the world, God gave him a job. God gave him a task. God gave him a calling. And the Bible says that God told him that you are going to have dominion on this planet. I'm going to create this creation called the world, and you're going to live in it, and you're going to have dominion, and you're going to dominate it. 
That's the reason why every one of us, we want to have our, our own piece of ground. We, we, we want to have our own uh, uh, stake in this thing. We, we, we want, and, and if you're a man in this room, there's something about you that, that's the reason why the, the whole domination, I'm not saying in a bad way, but I'm talking about like whether it's, it's sports or whether it's in business or whether it's, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, buying a house and, and building a home and building a family. There's something in you that makes you want to do that, that, that gives you that power, that gives you that, that it's because God created us that way. And God's gift to Adam and God's gifting to Adam was he said, I want you to name every, bird of the, every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and every fish of the sea. You're going to give them their name. That was his calling. And then you're going to have dominion, and you're going to rule and reign on this planet. Everybody's calling in this room is different. Everybody's, everybody's personal calling is different. One isn't higher than the other. For me, my, my calling is to the local church. You write this in your notes. It's not there, but you can just write it down. I am created to, and then put a big blank. I, you can put your name there if you want to. I, Aaron Cole, am created to blank. I am created to blank. It's a purpose statement. What is it that gets you up in the morning and puts you to bed at night? What is it that you want to do with your life? What is it that God's gifted you with? What is it? What's the dream in your heart? What's that ability? What's that thing that pulses through your veins? You may not know how to get there. You may not have all the answers, but that's what you're good at. That's what you're gifted at. Uh, that's what Marcus Buckingham would say. That's your sweet spot of your life. That, that's where everything begins to come together. Jim Collins, the three circles all come together, and it's there. That's not just something that's, that's secular. That's something that's sacred. That's that's something that God gives you. For me, it's a local church. This is what I love doing. I would do this if nobody paid me to do this. If I was financially independent, this is what I would do with my life. I would be standing here preaching and proclaiming the gospel to a group of people. This is what gets me up in the morning and puts me to bed at night. This is what I love. This is what I'm created to do. And for me, the highest calling is the local church. For you, it may be architecture. It may be, it may be engineering. It, it may be being a full-time stay-at-home parent. It, it may be working in a factory. It, it may be developing a business. It may be an auto mechanic. It may be a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer or administrator. What, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. But understand that calling, that desire, that who you are, that purpose that's in you, that's why every one of us wants to find out who we are and why we're on this planet. Because that's part of God's plan. And I would tell you, especially if you're single in this room, know this before you get married. Don't, don't try to figure this out at the expense of a marriage or the expense of a, of a mate. But find out what this is. Know what this is. Deal with this. Figure this out. This is what you want to do. In premarital counseling, I do this all the time with people. I say, tell me what it is. That you, tell me what your life is. Tell, tell me what kind of life you want. And I'll have them write these, these answers, these questions down. I'll say, tell me where you want to live. I mean, if you were living in, in greater Milwaukee, where would it be? Would, would, you, would you live on the North Shore? Would you, have a, uh, would you have a loft in the Third Ward? Would, would you want 20 acres in Washington County? Where, where would you want to live? What kind of car do you want to drive? You don't really care. Uh, you, you, you want a pickup truck? You, you want a Volvo station wagon? What does it look like? Tell me where, you, where, you're gonna, where do you want to put your kids in school? Is it going to be private school? Is it going to be home school? Is it going to be public school? Uh, does it matter to you? And I begin to ask, you know, how much money do you think it's going to make, that you're going to have to make in order to, to survive and to do what you want to do? And tell me what this looks like. Tell me, tell me what this is. And if I've got a guy who wants to drive a truck and own 20 acres in Washington County and really doesn't care, 
And I have a girl who wants to, who wants to, to live on the North Shore in a, in, a, in a Cape Cod with a white picket fence and drive a Volvo in private school. I got two different worlds going on here. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out there will be problems in their future. And you go, well, love will keep us together. No, no, love may bring you together, but these two things will separate you because you want two different things out of life. And you've got to say, this is who I am. This is what I want. And when a married couple or when an engaged couple sits down and says, this is the life that we want together. Not that it's perfect, not that it's pristine, not that it always goes the way you want it to go. But when, but when they're on the same page, it helps them as they go through to go, we want the same things out of life. Why? Because we have the same purpose statement in life. We have the same, it works. And so I would tell you, you got to know who you are. Adam and Eve both knew who they were. And again, they had a unique setting and situation. But, but the thing I want you to get now is you got to know your role in this marital relationship. So I'm going to kind of get on some thin ice. Is that good? Are you ready for me to get on thin ice? Here it is. The Bible, here's the deal. You have equal value, but different function. When it comes to a marital relationship, there is equal value, but different function. Equal value, but different function. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 21. It's going to be on the screen if you, if you don't have it in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's talk about this. Equal value, but different function. Listen, in a marital relationship, both people have equal value. There's not, a, there's not a stronger or a weaker. There's not a better or a worse. There's not a better or a best. There's not a dominant and a less dominant. They have equal value. Do you understand that? Women are not second to men. Men are not second to women. There is an equal value, but they have a different function when it comes to marriage. There's a complete different function when it comes to that. Because if both people are doing the same job, there's going to be conflict. And if both people, if there's jobs that they're not willing to do in that marital relationship, there's going to be conflict. So how does that work together? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 21 says that both husbands and wives are commanded to submit to each other unto Christ. Paul says it right there. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence and respect to Christ. So before he gets into this whole monologue about submission, he says we should, as, as people, submit to one another. Jesus put it like this. When there was a centurion who was a Roman official came to him and asked him for a faith healing of his superior office's child, he comes and says, I need you to do this for me. And Jesus says, okay. And he said, I'll, I'll be there in just a minute. He said, no, you don't understand. I understand, Jesus, that you are who you say you are. And that all you have to do is simply speak the word and it'll be done. And I'll carry the word back to my superior officer and his child will be healed. And Jesus stops and says, no greater faith have I ever seen in all of Jerusalem. Because this man is a man of authority and a man under authority. See, he understands how to walk into authority and how to lead, but he also understands what it means to submit. If you have someone who all they know how to do is walk in authority, they're a dictator. If they're a man, they're a male chauvinist. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It's true. You've been around those people who died and made you God. Who do you think you are? And, and the reality is, is that authority without submission is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing. 
The only person that can handle that is God, and none of us in this room are that. But the Bible says if we are people of authority, and we have authority in our own lives under Christ, if we will submit ourselves unto one another and unto him, then that mutual submission, that, that submission brings out the very best in who we are. So God, first of all, tells both we're to do this. Now, the Bible says to men, there are two things you're to do. Verse 23 and 25, it says you're to lead and you're to love. You are to lead as husbands and you are to love. You're to lead and you're to love. Let me talk about that just for a second. Ladies, if I can talk to the men just for a minute. Men, you need to be men. Straight up, sure enough, you need to be men that are willing to lead. I'm not talking about dominate. I'm not talking about take charge. I mean, you need the Bible. And again, if you've got a problem with this, don't email me. Email God at God at hotmail.com. I did not write this, but this is what it says. But I'm just going to tell you straight up, you need to lead. We need to be men where our kids see that we lead in our homes. We need to be men that lead in, in our businesses. We need to be men that, that don't just leave things to our wives. Not that our wives can't handle it, but that's not their, that's not their function. We, if there's, if there, listen, if there's an honorary neighbor, you need to go deal with it. Don't cower down and send your wife to deal with that. If there's a problem going on in the city with something that's happening that you need to have talk with, you go have the conversation. If you need to have square face-to-face conversation, you go toe-to-toe and talk to someone. Be a man. Amen. Well, I'm telling you, man, come on. I'm just saying. Ladies, you have a problem with that? No, they like, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> because, man, we got to lead. We have to lead. Not because we're better, but that's, our, that's part of our function. It's our role. It's what God's called us to do. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, we need to lead in the spirituality in our homes. Why do you relegate that to your wife? Silence. Your kids need to hear you pray out loud as a man of God. I'm going to preach this whether you like it or you don't. They need to hear you and see you open up God's word and say, this is what the word of God says, and this is how we're going to live our life. They need to see you love your wife and lead in that family and lead in that home. Every daughter needs to look to their dad and say, that's the kind of man that I want to marry. A man that understands who he is, a man who's submitted unto authority, and a man who's of authority and who walks in the counsel of God's word. I'm telling you, it's attractive. Every, every, every individual, every guy in this room, we need to be leading in those areas of our life. I have two little girls. And one of the things that I understand is my role as their dad that I can do for them something my wife can't do. She can do things for them that I can't do. But one of the things I can do is, is this, give them the security of who they are as a woman. So that they're little right now, so we do daddy dates, and man, we go to eat it where they want to go eat, and we go watch these crazy Disney movies that honestly, I'm like, I'm trying to stay awake, right? But I do it because it's important to them. And I spend time with them doing the things they want to do. Playing the Wii tournaments and playing board games and all the kind of stuff they like to do and tea parties and all that. I'm wearing pink today because it's Valentine's Day and I have three women in my house. And um, because, but the deal is, is because here's what I want them to know. This is how a man should treat you. 
He doesn't abuse you. He doesn't take advantage of you. He opens a door for you. He's courteous to you. He's kind to you. He doesn't have to make your decisions for you because you're strong and you're smart and you're beautiful and you've got a brain and you can use it and you don't need another guy telling you what to do or how to do it. Amen. And that when you find a young man, although I'm not going to approve of him, when you find him and you like him, then this is how he should treat you. And my wife says, you are really ratcheting it up for some 16, 18, 21 year old. And I said, you're right. Because I'm just going to knock all the guys that can't make it out. And the guys that can, I'll polish that 16 gauge shotgun I've got in my house as they come over. And I have one. It was done to me. I just want to pass on the blessing. But they need that from me. And then they need to see how I treat their mother. Because that's how a godly man should treat a wife. that I'm faithful to her and that I honor her and that I respect her and I don't call her woman and I don't walk in and demand my food be on the table at 5.30 like I'm God or something. That's what I mean by leadership. And I need to love. You know what's interesting to me about this is the Bible never says, wives, love your husbands. Because men, ladies get that. But we, we just think love is sex. And five minutes later, it's overdone and gone, and we're moved on. And the reality is, it's so much more than that. It's about caring and, and, and sharing and being kind and being compassionate and being thoughtful. Loving our wives. That's the reason why Paul reminds us thick-headed men, we have responsibility to love. Ladies, let's talk about you for a minute. All the guys said, hey, man, I want to see how he skates through submission. The Bible says this, women, submission to God and then to the husband. Submission to God first and then the husband. Again, equal value, different function. The, the reality is here is this is a deal where, first of all, you submit yourself as unto the Lord. But secondly, then, your function in that marital relationship is if your husband's going to lead, you're going to have to submit under that leadership. Anything that's got more than, more than one head, anything that's got two heads is a freak. If you don't believe that, just let a two-headed person walk in this room and watch how everybody responds to it. And this doesn't work like, well, he wears the pants in the family, but I pick them out. It doesn't work that way either. This is, a, this is a deal where I understand you're a team. I understand that. But I understand, too, that your role is to allow him the ability to lead and for you to submit under that leadership. That's the reason why when you get married, it's very important, ladies, that you decide, is this someone I really want to follow? Is this someone that I really want to lead our home? Is this someone that's going to lead? Because if he's not going to lead in a spiritual capacity when you're dating, he won't lead when you're married. And if he won't lead in, 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 a, in, a, in a, an emotional capacity, an intellectual capacity when you're dating, he won't do that when you're married. So it's that submission. And you go, well, why is that? Because it requires faith. It requires trust. Listen to this. The same way that we submit to Christ and give up our lives 
then we find life and we find freedom. It's an upside down principle of the kingdom of God. The Bible says if you want to be served, then you must be first be willing to serve. If you want to be the master, then you must first be willing to be the servant. If you want to, be, if you want to lead, then you've got to be willing to serve. If you want to be first, then, then, then you've got to be willing to be last. If you want to have friends, then you've got to first show yourself friendly. The Proverbs says that the way the master's chambers through the servant's quarters. It's an upside down principle that we in our own ego, in our own flawed DNA, we want to be number one. We want to be it. We want to be that. That's the reason why self-help sells so big because it's all about me and I want to take care of me and I want to take care of me and I'm number one and what about my rights and what about this? And the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you lose your rights. There are no rights. He just goes, boom, I'll just take all the rights away. Why? Because the reality is, is that when the creator created you and I as a creation, if we do it our way, we screw it up. But when we do it his way, it works like it's supposed to work. And what happens is, is ladies, when you submit yourself unto God, you submit yourself on the leadership of, of your husband, then you begin to flourish and to begin to develop. Look at the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you've not read that, you need to read that. It's a woman who understands authority and understands being under authority. It's a woman who, who has influence and who has power, who has confidence, but her confidence is set and it's nurtured and it's cultivated by her husband and by that relationship. And it's a beautiful thing. It's, it, it's not an out of balance thing or out of whack thing. It's a beautiful balanced thing because you are not less than. You're not secondary. Your husband is not primary, equal value, different function. But when you try to take on his role, it gets everything messed up. And when he won't lead in his role, it gets everything messed up. So men, if we will lead and we will love, and ladies, we will submit ourselves unto God and then unto our husbands, there's a beautiful covenant relationship that comes out. That's what God says. You've got to know you. That's the reason why the scripture talks about this. And here's the interesting thing, too. You understand that the triune Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, that's set in the heavenlies. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter one says, let us make man in our own image. So the triune Godhead, it's, it's ultimate unity. And God says, how do I want to express that on the planet? He didn't choose to express it through the church. He didn't choose to express it through the pastor. He, he chose to express his unity that takes place in the heavenlies, that keeps the world and the orbit in existence through the marital relationship. So God being deity is three in one. He has the ability to bring three together in one. We don't have that ability, but he says, I'm going to give them the ability to have two in one. So every time there is a marriage relationship that's seen on this planet, that covenant relationship, it's going to be a symbol to every single person that I exist in complete unity and three in one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why, another reason why God hates divorce. It's because it, it defies what, what his word says and, and it breaks apart that, that whole idea of community and the, whole, and the whole idea of the Trinity. And so the reality is you got to know who you are. The third thing you have to know is your spouse. Verse 23 through verse 25 says that you will leave and you will cleave. Like the cleave part, that's pretty good. You will leave and you will cleave. Verse 25 says, and they were naked, or as we'd say in the South, naked, and they felt no, no shame. They were naked and they felt no shame. This, this, isn't, this is speaking, when we hear that in our, term, in our, in our day and age, we, we, think of, of, well, we think of this free sex, this open relationship, but that's not what God was talking about because it was just Adam and Eve. They were together in covenant relationship. And the Bible's real strict about that. But it's about intimacy. To know means to have intimacy. And, and intimacy physically is part of that, yes. But there's also emotional intimacy and there's spiritual intimacy. 
And you can have physical intimacy, but be void of spiritual or emotional intimacy. You can have physical intimacy and emotional intimacy and be void of spiritual intimacy because spiritual intimacy has got to be based upon God. It goes right back to the very first thing we talked about, to know God. But he says you need to know your spouse. You, if you're going to have this marriage made in heaven, you've got to be active in your intimacy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And there are three things that will kill your intimacy in your marriage. The first thing is sin. Sin. Sin will kill intimacy in a marriage every single time. And you go, but, but, but she doesn't know about it. She doesn't know the internet pornography that I'm involved in. Uh, she doesn't know about all that. Listen, you're in a covenant relationship with one, with one another. The two have now become one. And what you do, you bring into the marriage. And what she does, she brings into the marriage. And so whether you're un, unknowing or not, it's kind of like if you, if you drink a, a bottle of, of poison today, you're going to die. Whether you know that you're drinking poison or you don't. Why? Because it has the toxic ability to kill you and shut down your organs. And sin is the exact same way. If you're dabbling in sin on the fringes, you're bringing that into that marriage relationship. You're bringing bringing that, and that will kill the intimacy. Listen to me, men. If you are involved in internet pornography or pornography, it will kill your sex life. It will kill your relationship with your spouse. It will kill the intimacy that you have. Because first of all, you, it's sin. You go, well, I don't know, man. Sin is if I have adultery and I like go out and have it. No, 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 no. Jesus, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus said to them, look, you've heard it said that if a man has sex outside of a marriage, he's committed adultery. But I tell you that if a man looks, up, looks upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. I'm telling you that sexual activity outside of the marriage bed is sin. That's what the Bible says. It says that the marriage bed is undefiled. That what, what a husband and a wife choose to do with the two of them, not involving a third party, is between them, them and the Lord. And, and it's God blesses it. But outside of that, any sexual activity, any pleasure, gratification outside of that is considered sin. So if you're involved, and I don't care if you go, well, I, don't, I just, I like read Maxim. Really? So you're in a lot more of the soft core than the hardcore. It's the same stuff, fellas. Don't play me for a fool. It, don't play God for the fool. It's the same stuff. And you go, wow, you're out there. Yeah. Because if you look at the stats of what pornography and, and, and the church today and even outside, it's crazy. And it's killing marriages because there's no intimacy there. There's, there's no personal relationship there. It's gone because we have traded what God gave us as a real, the genuine, for this cheap substitute. Sin will kill it every single time. The second thing they'll kill is secrets. Secrets. Mm, but he doesn't need to know all that. He doesn't need to know what I spent over there on that card that I've got at Macy's. That's just my business. Secrets. He didn't even know about that account. He didn't even know about that. She didn't even know about that. Secrets. They were naked and they felt no shame. It's more than a physical. There is an emotional transparency that you go, you know what? You're my best friend in life. You're the person I'm going to live, and live with and, and grow old with. And we're going to be sitting on the rocking chair at the old folks' home, wiping, wiping drool off each other's chin. I mean, we're together in this for the long haul. No secrets. It'll kill a relationship. It'll kill your marriage. You're not married. Keep all the secrets you want. You're not tied to anybody. 
But you have a ring on your finger and you've said I do is unto the Lord. No secrets. And some of you are going, dude, it is 12.06. Can we get out of here? That's not hunger. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, you need to listen to what I'm telling you because the truth will set you free. Not my words, but God's words. Secrets will destroy your relationship. Secrets will destroy your marriage. Third thing is silence. Sometimes it's not always the act of commission. It's the act of omission. It's not so much what I do, but sometimes it's what I won't do. I'm so mad at her. I'm so upset with her. I'm so frustrated with her. I'm telling you, you don't know what she did. and I, You don't know what he did. And I'm up to here with him. And I'm just going to put him out in the doghouse. And I'll tell you what, I'm just not even going to talk to him. Silent treatment. Well, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That means by the time the sun sets, you better have cleared all your accounts for the day. Don't be at odds with anybody. Keep a short account. Paul says, where if every, in every ability you have to be at peace, be at peace with all men. And Jesus said, if you've got aught with your brother and you're on your way to church, before you go, go make it right with them and then go back to church. It's more important that you make it right with, 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 with your relationships than it is that, you, uh, that you're at church. That's pretty serious. Because sometimes we just like do the Heisman to our spouses. We just kind of just, we tuck what we want over here and we just kind of push them away and we just divide them until we get what we want. Well, I'm just, you know, it'll be a cold day before and, and he won't get any sex from this. And that, whoa, really? To withhold sexual relationship inside the confines of marriage is a sin. You made a covenant before God. And before witnesses. But you don't, I'm just telling you what it says. If you need counseling, get counseling. You need help, get help. You need to pray through, pray through. You need to get on the spout where the glory comes out, like my grandmother would say, then get under that spout and turn it on. But you need to make it right and get that going on because a sexless marriage is a very scary thing. Silence, shutting people off. Sometimes it's just, weird. I'm just mad, I'm not gonna talk. But I'm gonna ride my car, I'm gonna do my thing, let her do her thing, bless God. Funny story, but so true. Tammy and I, I'm young and dumb and love and in marriage. I'm still, I'm old and dumb now. And, um, and I, I got so mad. I don't even know what I got mad about. We were living in this little crackerjack box house in, in Arkansas, and we were right out of college. And I got mad at something, and, and I mean, I was just livid about something. I don't even know what it was about. Do you remember what it was about? I have no idea. And I just looked at her. I said, woman, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to sleep on that couch. And you can stay in here in this bed all by yourself tonight. I'm going to show you. You know where this is going, don't you? Every man has done this. We are stupid, guys. Anyhow, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to show you. And so I just slammed that door. It was like one of those paper-thin, hollow-core doors. Just, I thought it knocked off the hinges. And I walked down there, and I sat on the couch. And, I, man, the longer I sat, the madder I got. And I got into the news, you know, watching the news. And, and it had been sitting there for about 30, 45 minutes. And I'm just livid at this point. I'm thinking, she should, she should come out here and apologize to me. <laughs> just being honest. Not saying it's right. This is, this is, this is saying you got $300 an hour in counseling fees right now. And I just thought. And then by the time Jay Leno's monologue kicked on, I was livid. And I thought, I'm going to go back in there. And I'm going to throw that door open. I'm going to talk to her. And I, so... I, I, in all my glory and my boxers, walk down that hallway and bust open that door just about to, and she, here's what I hear. 
You know what I did? I shut the door and slept on the couch because my pride was not going to let me. I already told her I wasn't going to do that. See, pride come before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Is that what the Bible said? So the next morning, I'm miserable. I've got a crick in my neck. I slept horrible. I'm, I'm just mad as a, a junkyard dog. And she's smiling, just, hi, good morning. I'm like, good morning. And I said, woman, I slept on that couch last night. She said, well, you, that's what you said you wanted to do. I said, I, I got a crick in my neck. Well, you, you could have slept in the bed. And I said, but I said, didn't you miss me? She said, no, actually, I had a pretty great night of sleep. I didn't have to hear it. I'd have to listen to your snoring. And then I said to myself, self, that will be the last time I will ever like get mad and let the sun go down on my wrath and sleep on the couch. And I haven't done that since. It doesn't take me very long. I may get messed up the first time, but I'll get right the second time. Silence will kill you. Here's how I want to end this service today. If you are married, whether you are with your spouse or you're not, I, I, I don't want to single anybody out, but if you're married, I want to ask every married person in this room if you'd stand. Just stand. If you're with your spouse, just stand. Tammy, would you join me on the platform? Please. And, and, and here's what I want to do. I, I want you to, I'm going to pray for every married couple. And, uh, and if you're here with your spouse, I want you to take your spouse by the hand. Even if you had a fight and you need to make up, do it later. Don't do it on my time. And um, just take them by the hand. Because here's the reason why I want to do I want to pray for you on this Valentine's weekend. That God's going to bless you and going to bless your marriage. I'm not praying for your kids right now. I'm not praying for your job. I'm not praying for your house. I'm praying, I'm praying for you that God will bless you in your marriage. Because you are the image and the likeness of a holy God on this planet. And that's the reason why every minister who performs a wedding says, what God's put together, let no man put asunder. And here's the thing I know, the enemy of your soul and my soul is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if he can destroy your marriage, he'll destroy you, he'll destroy your kids, or he'll try to, that doesn't mean he will, but he'll try to destroy the church, destroy everything. But the Bible says that God has given us every ability that we need to do what he's called us to do. And when you made that marriage covenant with, your, with the person that you're standing with or with the person that you're married to, God's given you the ability to make it through. You may be in a rough patch right now. I'm gonna pray for you. But I'm just telling you, don't give up. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Don't become weary and well-doing for in due season. If you don't quit, you'll have your reward. And sometimes all you can do is just keep, just, keep, just keep moving on. Maybe there's something I said today that you need to get right. Maybe there's a sin you need to deal with. Maybe there's a silence issue. Maybe there's an intimacy issue. Whatever it may be, you need to sit down and do that. Maybe you need to get some counseling. I, you know, that's great. Whatever you need to do. But for the sake of your relationship with your spouse, I want you to do that. And maybe you're on the mountaintop today. Great, that's awesome. But I'm telling you, God has brought you together so that you'll grow old together and that God will bless your home and he'll bless you. And I wanna pray for that. Lord, I just thank you today for our spouses, for every husband and every wife that's here today. I thank you, Lord, as a married man, the strength that my wife brings to me and the blessing that she is to me and the home that we have together. And Father, I just pray for every marriage here that you would bless them that you'd bless their home, that you'd bless their marriage, you'd bless their relationship. I pray, God, that you would just, Lord, I know there are people in this room, they're going through a rough patch right now. They're really struggling with some things. I pray, oh God, that you would just open their eyes, soften their hearts, 
The first place to start is for us to drop on our knees, quit pointing our fingers and say, oh God, is there anything in me? Oh God, soften my heart. Oh God, let me know you. Because when we have a right vertical relationship with you, you take care of these horizontal relationships in our lives. God, let us know you. God, secondly, let us know what our role is and be okay with that. Let the men in this, in this room, let them lead, not in a dominant way, but God in a, in a God-honoring, submissive way, but with the authority of the scripture that it gives us. And let every woman in this, in this room, I pray God, let them be fully submitted to you, fully submitted, Lord, to, to that relationship of their husband. And I pray let them just compliment one another in Jesus' name. And I pray, oh God, let them know one another. Lord, I pray you would bless their, their sexual relation. I pray, God, you would bless them, Lord, their, their emotional relationships. I pray, God, you would bless, Lord, their spiritual relationships with one another. And that, God, you just put a hedge of protection around every couple here, every marriage here and in this church. We just pray a hedge of protection around. We pray your blessings on this weekend, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.